All right, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, read our passages from Luke. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Luke 18, 9 through 14. Jesus is speaking. It says, he also told them this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and, he looked down, and they looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying uh, like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can gather together in your presence here this morning, Lord, and we come hungry, seeking uh, daily bread. Lord, your word says that man does not live off of bread alone, but every word that comes out of your mouth. And Lord, so we are here listening uh, to the word that goes forth this morning, Lord, and I pray we'd have humble hearts to receive it, and we ask for your Holy Spirit's help. Uh, to make it real in our lives, to convict us, to give us strength, to trust and obey. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're starting a new uh, sermon series here this morning called uh, Exalted, and um, where we're simply going to be looking at following Jesus. What does it mean, what does it look like to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ? So the passage that we just looked at is from Luke 18. And in the story of Luke, Jesus is headed towards Jerusalem where he's going to be crucified. And he has his disciples with him. They're kind of rolling with him. And the, the disciples were like apprentices. They like hung out with Jesus for three years. They watched his life. They heard his teaching. Just like if you were to learn how to weld, you would come alongside someone who knew more than you. You'd watch what they did. They would say, no, don't do it like that. Do it like this. So here Jesus was um, teaching them in the everyday stuff of life, just the ordinary stuff. And, and he mentions one here, Luke does. In verse 9, it says, He also, Jesus, told them this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and they looked down on everyone else. So you got to imagine this. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified. He said there were some people who trusted in themselves, they were self-righteous, and they looked down um, on other people. So it says he told them a parable. A parable is very simply uh, a short story drawn from real life uh, experience to teach a truth. That's what parables are. So I want to ask you this question. What would you call being self-righteous and looking down on other people? What would y'all call that? Self-righteous, looking down your nose on other people. Hypocrite, okay, yeah, that's pride, right, that's pride, and pride is deadly, that's the first thing I want us to see from this passage, pride is deadly, look at it again in uh, verse 10 through 12, two men went up to the temple to pray, 
one a Pharisee and the other tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, give a tenth of everything I get. So here Jesus is telling this story to teach his disciples the truth. And he says there's two guys, right? One was a Pharisee. Pharisees, they were a Jewish group at the time of Jesus, and they were seeking to reform the nation of Israel through strict obedience to all of God's commandments. They had all these little traditions and, and uh, ideas. They had a national hope uh, for uh, reforming um, Israel. So it says here that the Pharisee went up to, temple, to the temple to pray. Now, if you notice, his prayer was all about himself. So he says, God, I want to talk to you, but I want to tell you about myself. I want to tell you about how amazing uh, I am. So he tells God uh, how good of a person he is. And he uses the word I five times in the prayer. So he says, I thank you. He says, I am not like these other people. I give, I fast, and I get. So what's going on with this guy? The problem is that he trusted in himself. He was looking to himself and what he could do or what he's done uh, to earn, his, earn God's favor, twist God's arm. And that's why Jesus told the story, if you remember back in the first verse. Jesus told this story because there were people who trusted in themselves and looked down upon other people. And so uh, the tax collector also his prayer was, I thank you, God, I'm not like all these other people. So pride is, is like a poisonous snake. All right. We were uh, walking in the woods recently behind our house. We do that sometimes on my day off. Just took a walk in the woods and, you know, we're headed down, down the path and all of a sudden, I, you know, the snake was like right alongside the path. It was right there. It was getting ready to come across and uh, scared me because I haven't seen a snake uh, in a long time. I haven't seen him in the woods or anything. Um, but uh, it wasn't a poisonous snake, but if it was, it could have got me because it was right there and I never saw it until I was, right on, I was right on top of it. So what makes pride so deadly? Think about it. What makes pride so deadly? C.S. Lewis, in his book, uh, Mere Christianity, he's got a great little section on pride. He was a Christian author, philosopher. This is what he says. And I'm going to mention several things he says. There is no fault which makes a man more unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. So what he's saying is we all recognize arrogance and pride in other people, right? We can see that. That person is stuck up or they're they're full of themselves right but pride is deadly because we don't see it in ourselves and he goes on to say the more that we hate pride in other people is the more that we have it uh, in ourselves it's a, probably a good test case for us uh, and that's what makes it deadly because it's just like that snake it's it's right along the path and i never knew it was there and a lot of times we are unconscious unconscious of the pride that we have in our own lives. He goes on to say, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice, bad thing, the utmost evil is pride. 
Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other evil. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. So according to the scriptures, according to the Bible, pride is the origin of evil. That, that uh, God created, um, God created Satan, Satan the devil was created as an angel. And he was beautiful, reflecting the glory of God and the holiness of God, but pride was his downfall. He um, trusted in himself and his own beauty and his own you know, magnificence, and then he wanted to look down upon God. He wanted to exalt himself over and above God, and he fell. God cursed him. Uh, he fell all the way down from heaven's heights to these streets in this community, in this world uh, that we live in. He disguised himself as a serpent, deceived Adam and Eve, uh, which makes total sense, by the way, because what else was he going to disguise himself as? All the world was was animals. He disguised himself as an animal. He got them to trust in themselves and to despise one another. Right? That's what he did. Pride is the bedrock of every other kind of evil and sin. It all comes from pride. Lewis says that pride is the complete anti-God state of mind because it's trust in ourselves. It is looking to ourselves rather than to the creator God who made everything in this, and put us in this world uh, that belongs to him. It is living as if we are gods in this world and we're making it up and doing whatever we, uh, we want to do. It's, pride is living as if all of the abilities that we have, whatever goodness, all come from us rather than him. And if we are living in God's world as his creatures without him, without trusting in him and obeying him, it makes us his rival. And that's what James chapter 4 uh, verse 6 says. It says, therefore God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. You see that? God resists the proud because the proud resists God. Right? They, we we want to uh, call our own shots. Uh, there's, a, there's a lady, her name is Rosaria Butterfield, and she was a former uh, tenured professor of English at Syracuse University. Uh, in her late 20s, she became a feminist and a, an advocate for the LGBTQ community, and so she adopted a lesbian identity. But in 1999, she converted to Christ. And she's a beautiful uh, Christian lady. Uh, she's brilliant. Um, this is, I want you to hear how she describes her conversion, coming to Christ and what that looked like for Here's what she says. I could think of only one sin of which to repent, pride. My world was simply filled with pride, pride posters, pride t-shirts, pride coffee mugs. My house uh, housed the material for the gay pride march. I was surrounded by pride. My dog even laughed out of, you guessed it, a pride water ball. So look at this. So I repented of my pride. The pride that led me to think that I could invent my own rules for faith and for life and sexual autonomy. The pride that said that I was entitled to live separately from God. Now, notice here that she says that she repented of that. That means that she turned away from it, she stopped it, she started to trust and to follow Christ, but she repented of and turned away from what we as a culture celebrate, and that is pride. We got a whole month dedicated to it. It's the month of June, in case you don't know that. 
We have Pride Month. We, we celebrate what, what God says is uh, uh, deadly. So Rosaria came to see that her lesbian uh, relationship, her LGBTQ plus advocacy, all her feminism, all came from pride. I want you to see what she says. This is her admission. She says, the pride that led me to think that I can invent my own rules for faith and life. See, that's pride because it is ignoring Jesus. It is ignoring Jesus, what he clearly says, says in inventing our own faiths, our own spirituality, her own life. She says she repented uh, of the pride that led to her sexual autonomy. And what does that mean, sexual autonomy? Here's what it means. She had sex with whoever she wanted to have sex with. And that's what we celebrate as a society, as a culture. And that's what pride looks like because Jesus is our creator. And he is the one who's given to us sex as a gift to be shared between the marriage of one biological male and one biological female in a covenant relationship. And we ignore him and do whatever we want and demand that everyone join in, Jesus included. Come on, Jesus, you join in too and celebrate our pride. She said, Rosaria, I was entitled to live separately from God. See, having sex with whoever you want to have sex with is living separately from God. The scriptures are not, uh, they're not opaque about these things. And listen, I've been there too. I've been there too. I know it's, it's utterly hopeless. This type of lifestyle and this type of mentality is utterly hopeless. But here, I want you guys to listen to me. Listen to me. It is also pride to think that because you're straight that you can have sex with whoever you want to have sex with. Outside of what Jesus says, which is a marriage between one man and one woman biologically in a covenant relationship. Right? That's also pride. Let me ask you a question. Maybe you're here as I went through all that and you were like, get him, Ricky. Get him. Let me ask you, do you look down on LGBTQ plus people and thank God, thank you, that I'm not like that? Does that sound similar? Does it sound like the, the Pharisee? Or you can flip it, right? Maybe in here and you're, you're sympathetic to uh, uh, all the letters of the alphabet and the, and the plus sign. And, and you say, God, I thank you that I'm not like these people in this church building here this morning. Or God, I thank you I'm not like those conservatives. That's just trusting in yourself, regardless of what side you, you, you fall upon, right? Looking down upon others. It's pride. C.S. Lewis, one more time. He says, a proud man is always looking down on things and people, and of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. You see that? As long as we're looking down upon people, we can't look up to see Jesus. We can't look up to see our creator God. And we can't know him when we're living separately from him. And that is deadly. That is absolutely deadly. But humility is life. It's the second thing we see in this passage. Humility is life. And we see it in the other man in the parable. We see it in the tax collector. Look at what it says in verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest, saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So the second guy is a tax collector. During the time of Jesus' ministry, the Roman Empire occupied uh, the nation of Israel. Tax collectors were Jewish people that became traitors and extortionists. So 
they uh, were traitors and they would steal money from the people. They were absolutely hated. So this guy comes to the temple to pray also, but he, it says he stood at a distance out of fear and out of shame. And he prayed, right, head down the whole time, looking at the ground. Didn't even lift his eyes up um, to heaven. It says he beat his chest, right? Uh, out of, uh, it was just a sign of grief and sorrow over, over his sin. And he didn't tell God how, how amazing it was, but he said a simple prayer, which is, God have mercy upon me, a sinner. By the way, this is not Jesus giving us a step-by-step -step guide on how to pray. Go to the temple in, 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 in Jerusalem, right, stand a long way off, look down. That's not that. This guy is the logo for humility. This is what humility looks like. Everybody know the Apple logo, like your iPhone? Right, it's, it's an Apple, right? You guys are unsure about this. With a bite taken out of it. Maybe you didn't know that. Yeah, it's an apple. So this guy is the logo for humility. This guy stands for humility. All you do is look at his heart, look at his, his, his posture, his body, and then the words that come out uh, of his mouth. So what's the difference? What's the big difference between these two guys? Well, the tax collector did not trust in himself. Right? He didn't come into God's presence telling God all about himself. He didn't say, God, I'm a decent person. God, I have a good heart. God, you know my heart. God, I, I mean, I'm not perfect, but we're good, right? He didn't say any of that stuff. He said, God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Notice the first words out of his mouth. God. The first words were not I, but God. That's where humility starts. Humility starts when we uh, remember God and we forget about ourselves. See, when he came into the presence of God to pray to God and to think about who God is, he totally forgot about himself. So to be humble, number one, to be humble, if that's what you want, you got to forget about yourself. We got that? Yeah, you got to forget about yourself. Makes me think about those old gangster movies, like the Goodfellas. Forget about it, right? Forget about it, right? That's what you got to do with yourself. You have to forget about yourself in order to be humble. That's what humility is. I want to show you um, Tim Keller. He was a pastor in Manhattan, the Redeemer Presbyterian Church, for several decades, recently passed away. So here's what he says. The essence of gospel humility, or humility, is not thinking more of myself or less of myself, but it is thinking of myself less. See that? Pride is like steroids. Take steroids, mm, just, mm, just get jacked up, right? Just get all beefed up, you know, but it's not the real you. Right? It's, it's, it's the chemicals uh, at work in your body. Pride is a spiritual, uh, Jesus is a spiritual detox from pride. He brings us down to size. Jesus, when we come to know him and meet him and follow him and love him, he burst our bubble uh, in a lot of ways. Um, Here's why. Because Jesus is bigger and better than us. So when we come to him, we need to recognize that Jesus is God. Right? I talk to people every week, right? And they'll be like, yeah, he was just a teacher or whatever. No, he claimed to be God. Yeah, in a hundred different ways, Jesus said, I am God. And proved it. 
But he's also the God who came into this world and wrapped himself in humanity. He was the God-man. And he was utterly sinless. He was perfect all throughout his life. If you read the Bible, every time someone came into the presence of God and, and Jesus at times, even though he, he had his deity clothed in humanity, these people thought they were going to die. When someone came into the presence of God in the Bible, they thought they were dead because they're sinners and God is so much greater than us. I'll give you an example. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah the prophet uh, was called to preach to the nation of Israel. And um, yeah, so when God called him, Jesus rips kind of the curtains back, pulls the curtains back, and he sees Jesus high and lifted up way up there on a throne. Jesus got this super sweet robe on, and the robe is like filling the entire room. The robe is filling the entire uh, temple. And there are these heavenly beings flying around Jesus, right? All these heavenly beings. And they're called seraphim. And the, uh, the root word from which seraphim comes is the word to burn. So these heavenly beings are like on fire, man. They're just like these torches, man. They're just burning, blazing hot. And they're radiating the holiness and the glory of God. And they got six wings. Two, their bodies. They cover their bodies. Two, they cover their faces. They are sinless. But yet in the presence of the holy God, they can't even look at his holiness. And two, they fly around and they don't stop saying this day and night. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. And then when that happened, the temple began to shake like an earthquake. It began to rumble. You know, you ever felt a good earthquake? Like the dynamite they're blowing up over here by the, the bypass. I can feel it like a mile away. It just shakes my office. It's rumbling. The whole temple is shaking. And the whole thing filled with smoke. And Isaiah says, I'm dead. I'm dead right now because I'm a sinner. In the presence of Jesus, I'm going to die right now. And that's the same thing the tax collector did. In the presence of God, you find out who you really are. That's, who you, that's what happens. It humbles you. Find out who you really are. You know, when, when, the, when the tax collector came into the presence of God, um, he didn't compare himself to other people, but to God. Right? And he came up short. That's why he says, have mercy upon me, a sinner. That's what a sinner is. A sinner is someone who comes up short of God's intended goal and purpose uh, for your life. That's all of us. Right? That's what it means to be a sinner. We do exactly what Rosaria Butterfield did. And we do it as Christians too. We do whatever we want. Make up our own rules. We invent our own Jesus. Live without God in the world that he created for us to live with him and for him. Listen, the Bible is clear. We're all sinners. There is no higher ground to stand upon morally to look down upon anybody else. Let's look at Romans chapter 3, verse 12 says. All have turned away. You see that? All alike have become worthless. This is God speaking. And he doesn't mean, he means worthless in the sense of doing and being who you were created to be, to be the person who, like those angels, just constantly is displaying to the watching world the glory of God. 
There is no one who does what is good. Look at this. You see it? Not even one person. This means that all of our good deeds and all of our morality and all of our effort are shot through with sin. So knowing who we are in the presence of God means we forget about ourselves. God, we don't come into the presence of God. God, let me tell you about myself today. Let me tell you about how amazing uh, I am. No, humility is to forget about ourselves. So to be a humble person, you got to forget about yourself, but you also have to follow Jesus. Look at verse 13 again. The second thing is follow Jesus, verse 13. But the tax collector standing far off would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and says, he said, God, have mercy on me. You see that? So he comes into God's presence and he asks God for mercy. So we, we watched uh, the movie The Gladiator uh, recently. I know it's an old movie, but it's still classic. So there's a scene where Maximus, right? Maximus is in the arena with the Roman emperor Commodus, and Commodus could have killed him right there. But he gives him the thumb, right? Thumbs up. He had mercy on him. He could have, he could have uh, taken him out. The, uh, the word for mercy in the Bible, the Hebrew word, comes from the same word as a mother's womb. Isn't that interesting? That the way a, a, a mom with a child uh, has a tender heart, a compassionate heart, heart full of love. This is God's heart towards his people, that God cares about us, that God is tender towards us, that God is compassionate um, to protect us, to take care of us, to forgive us, to bear with us. I want to show you this from Isaiah 49, verse 15. It's a beautiful passage. Can a woman forget her nursing child or lack compassion? Same word, mercy. For the child of her womb. This is God speaking. Even if these forget, even if the mother with child forgets her child, yet I will not forget you. How beautiful is that? Let me, and let me tell you, God has not forgotten you. Absolutely not. God has not forgotten you. And you may think he has. Right? And here's how we, we come up with the, those ideas. Because we come up with some ideas about what God should do or shouldn't do other than what he said he was going to do. But it's pride over here. Humility is listening to these words right here. I will not forget you. He said it. It's true. How can you know? How can you know for sure that God has not forgotten you? Well, God's mercy is, is Jesus. God's mercy came down into this world and became one of us. He became a human being. And Jesus went all the way to the cross and died at the cross for you. He exchanged places with you at the cross and took the judgment that was meant for you. He took the curse of sin, your death at the cross, Jesus took for you and buried it. He did that so you could be forgiven did this in your relationship, you can have a relationship with God and come to him and pray to him just like the tax collector. And Jesus is alive. He is risen, uh, he's risen from the dead. That is mercy. And notice the example that Jesus gives in this, this story here, the tax collector. Here's the example of someone who gets mercy. This guy was not a good person. Matter of fact, he is the worst type of person 
but yet he receives mercy. Right? There, there is no limit to uh, Jesus' mercy. His mercy is a bottomless ocean. There's no, you can't plumb the depths of it. You can, you can never do anything that would put you outside of the mercy of God. And some of you Christians, you need to hear that here this morning. Look, his mercy does not run out. His mercies are new every morning. I love what Richard Sibbs, the, uh, the English Puritan, said in the, in the 1600s. He says, there is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. Do you believe that? There is more mercy in Christ than any amount of sin that you could ever do and any sin that you ever could dream up. His mercy doesn't run out. Maybe you're here and you're thinking here this morning, I, 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 I'm pulling the tap on Jesus' mercy and it's, it's dry. You're wrong. <laughs> it's flowing. It's flowing. You just got to believe it and receive it. How do we do that? How do we receive um, Jesus' mercy? Well, what did the tax collector do? He came to God and he asked for it. That's what we got to do. He says, God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Now, what is implied in that prayer? What did he have to believe about God in order to pray that prayer? Well, he believed that God is the type of God who shows mercy. God is the type of uh, God that shows mercy on sinners, like the tax collector, like me. And like you, very uh, imperfect people. Here's the good news. God has shown us mercy in Jesus. He's already demonstrated his mercy. He's already demonstrated his love at the cross. So guess what you can do now? Guess what you can do? You can go to him for mercy. I did it this morning. There's not a morning I don't wake up. I don't wake up like the tax cut. Lord, thank you. Thank you, man. Let me tell you about how good I am this morning, Lord. No. God. I'm a sinner. I need mercy this morning. You can ask him for that. and He will have mercy on you. Maybe some of you need to do that for the first time here this morning. Maybe, maybe, maybe this morning you, you've kind of woke up to the reality that you're a sinner. Or maybe you're here and you realize that you're prideful. And you need to go to them for the first time and ask Jesus to have mercy on you and give your life to him here this morning. He will have mercy on you. And you won't be sorry. So that's how we start following Jesus. That's how we become humble in the first place, but that's how we continue following Jesus all throughout our life. We keep going back to the tap, asking for more and more mercy right, in our lives, and he will show it. He is merciful. He will not forget us. What does it look like to be humble? Think about it. What, do you, what does it look like to be humble? It looks like you stop making comparisons. Isn't that why Jesus told this whole story in the first place? There were some people who looked down upon other people. God, I thank you that I'm not like those people. I'm better. I'm making a comparison here. Right? When you know that you deserve nothing from God but his justice, but he has given you everything in his mercy and his grace in Jesus Christ, Right, you stop the uh, comparisons. Jesus takes the high ground from us. There's no high ground to stand upon because it's all mercy in Christ, but he also takes the low ground. See, there's another form of pride that feels inferior. I wish I was like this other person. I wish, or, or think about pride has two sides of uh, one coin. 
It's one coin with two sides. One is the arrogant type of pride, it's boastful. The opposite side is the self-pity type of pride, which is constantly, look at how much I've suffered. Look at what I'm going through. Um, but it's still self-referential. Everything we have is a gift. All of our talent, all of our abilities, our bodies, our money, our energy, especially God's mercy. So we can't take credit for any of it. And if that's the case, we shouldn't make any comparisons with other people. And you know what happens when, you see as Lewis goes on in that little section about pride, it says when you, when you discover this, it's like finding a cup of cold water in the desert. It's nice not to compare yourself to other people and to be worried about that all the time. And to feel inferior or superior because it takes so much work. So we, find, we stop the comparisons, but lastly, we find confidence. Luke 18, verse 14. Jesus concludes the whole thing like this. I'll, I'll tell you, this one, that is the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other one, the Pharisee, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. There, there's a scene at the end of, or the, in the gladiator where the emperor, Commodus, is trying to uh, get rid of uh, Maximus is trying everything and he tells him about how he tortured his wife and uh, his son and, and murdered them and Maximus says this famous line he says the time for honoring yourself will soon be at an end the time for the world to honor itself and all of its pride will one day be at an end and if you look to God in mercy you can never be canceled Christians cannot be canceled by the way Christians cannot be condemned. Because here's what the Bible says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The world can do whatever it wants. Cancel us, it can heap all kinds of condemnation for talking about things like we've talked about here this morning. But here's the deal, one day Jesus is gonna return, he's gonna bring you all front and center and he's going to commend you before the entire world. These people that you tried to condemn, these people that you tried to cancel, guess what? These were the humble ones. They forgot about themselves in my presence. They acknowledged that they were sinners. And they trusted in me. They received the mercy that I offered to them. That wonderful, what wonderful good news. What hope and freedom we have uh, as believers. And that's what we want to respond to now. We're